Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third-tier markets to large 100-plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome, everybody, to the Self-Storage Income Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by both of our amazing sponsors, Live Oak Bank and Janus International. If you haven't heard lately, we've had a couple episodes recently where uh, listeners who are now investors have actually reached out to Live Oak Bank and gotten their financing, whether they went the SBA route or a different route. Uh, They've done their financing through Live Oak and talked to Terry at Live Oak Bank and all that stuff. So that's been just incredible feedback and so cool to see all of this come full circle where, you know, we choose Live Oak to come in and be our sponsor for the podcast uh, to provide this and continue to provide it for you guys and provide this value. And that you're getting that value and then you're bringing that value like full circle for us to be able to see like that actually helping you guys, which is so cool. And uh, we're so, so honored to have Live Oak as a part of the podcast. And uh, again, they've got a lot of really amazing incentives going on as far as their SBA loan programs. And we've actually, we've got a podcast. I'm, I'm hoping we've got a podcast lined up with Terry coming up here soon. So we're going to have him on, talk everything finance again, talk about some of these changes and current events and things going on. So that's going to be really exciting. Looking forward to that. Uh, link is in the show notes. Go check out Live Oak. Awesome people. Great stuff going on there. Can't say enough good stuff about them. Our next sponsor, Janus International. You guys have to check out all of their amazing solutions, self-storage-wise. Uh, so many of these facilities that we own and operate, I'm talking you guys out there, us, they're old. They need to be brought up to today's standards, today's user experience and expectations, and uh, Janus International has those solutions for that. So they're no-key systems, keyless, keyless access allows people to rent units, access a facility, store their stuff, leave the facility without ever talking to or interacting with a manager if that's what they need or want to do. Super awesome tool. Love it. And they also have a ton of programs going on with their, they call it their R3 program. And um, it's their effort to revitalize storage facilities, whether that's uh, I've heard, I've heard whispers, they, they do doors, all these things, but I've heard whispers of them also getting into the realms of roofing and siding and all these other aspects as well to really have an all-encompassing one-stop shop solution for us owner, operators, investors that need to bring those facilities up and repair those facilities, make them look nice, have a good product offering for consumers. Uh, they are a fantastic option. Janice International, get at them. Link is in the show notes. Go check it out. With that, you guys enjoy this episode. Welcome everybody to Self Storage Income. And today we get to talk with John Farling and how he got to six facilities and what he's doing now. Um, really excited to have him on. Uh, can't wait for, for this one to get started. Once again, we just had a lineup of some great people and it's been a really good way for us to explore certain areas and introduce new ways of doing things. So I think you guys are going to really join that. And without any further ado... We're going to bring him in. How's it going, man? Great. Appreciate you guys having me. Appreciate all the content and value you guys are uh, providing everybody. Thank you. We appreciate it. Well, thanks for coming on and uh, being willing to share strategies and tips with others out there. You know, that's what we're all about. We're, you know, our kind of goal is free content to let everybody know and uh, you're participating in it. So, you know, us and all our listeners appreciate it, but what, why don't you give us, tell us a little bit about you, where you're from um, and kind of, you know, let's get started there. Sure. I live in Columbus, Ohio. I've been here uh, 14 years or so Um, from Ohio, but um, yeah, I mean, going way back, my, uh, my parents were in real estate. Um, They owned one duplex 
um, for a few years. It, it, it failed miserably, uh, but they also built spec homes. Um, I think between 25 or 30 of them while I was growing up. So I was always around real estate. Um, I just kind of had, uh, you know, an, an itch for it too. So, um, fast forward a little bit, um, uh, did outside sales for electrical contractor of all things, uh, in Columbus, Ohio, started that 11 years ago. And, uh, eventually we had our first kid, uh, my wife and I, uh, that was 2014 and started thinking, you know, what are we going to do with one retirement and then two, uh, how are we going to try to pay for a college education? And uh, that kind of led me back to real estate. Um, four years after that, acquired one um, single family rental per year. At that point, was scaling way too slow. Um, so started looking at other avenues, apartments. And this was what, 2019? Um, the market's still hot, obviously, but the market was hot then. Couldn't find anything multifamily. Started looking at small businesses to buy, um, was actually looking at a car wash. That led me down the path of SBA loans and found self-storage. And uh, here I am basically two years later after uh, acquiring my first facility. This is, uh, dude, I love it. It's so exciting. So, um, you know, first of all, congratulations. What a great, you know, two years. And uh, I, I love hearing about people's journey. And you did fast. I mean, six facilities two years, you know, you just dove into this market. Um, why don't you run through, through us on your first facility? How big was it? What, you know, how'd you find it? Give us, you know, kind of that journey as you're going into it, you know, like who were you talking to? Was it a broker? All that kind of stuff. Sure. So, um, late, what was it? 2018, um, started sending out some mailers, uh, bought a list, and uh, was concentrated on areas like Columbus, Ohio. Bigger, you know, it's a bigger area. Um, didn't get any traction. I, I don't know how many mailers I sent out. I did make some phone calls, but no traction. Yeah. Uh, ended up finding Mike Wagner, I believe from, uh, he was probably on Bigger Pockets at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, talked to him a few times, and, and I'm part of his community now. Um, but he basically led me to um, look to rural and uh, tertiary uh, markets secondary markets. So um, I basically made my own list. Uh, my first mailing was about 60 facilities. Um, the towns range from like 10,000 people to we'll call it 60 or 70,000 people. And uh, out of that um, group of 60 mailers, I was able to land uh, two deals out of that. Um, both of them are relatively same size. Uh, one's 12,000 square feet, others 13,000 square feet. Um, different looking facilities. Uh, the one is, uh, from the late seventies. Um, but numbers are, are almost identical. Use SBA loans for both those. Um, but yeah, direct mail marketing. Yeah. Yeah, Direct mail marketing. That's how I found all my other facilities too. You know, it's interesting because you curate, uh, you're curating your own list. That's how we do it here. So we actually curate our own lists and we make them. Uh, one of the problems you have with lists that you buy is everybody else's bottom. And I found that the, everyone that I talk to, generally speaking, that is probably the, as far as capital goes and everything, it's one of the lowest ways that I've seen of actual acquisitions. And I, I've all my off-market deals, which literally until this year was every single one, um, all, all the deals that it, it never came from that. We tried some strategies. I never got any deals. It never got any good ones either. Um, even leads. It kind of interesting that this has been a universal story that I've that I've heard. Um, it just doesn't seem to work that well. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, yeah, brokers, you know, hitting the same list. Yeah, exactly. And really, until I talked to Mike, I never thought about investing in you know rural areas, areas with twelve thousand population. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so yeah, brokers. I think brokers now are hitting those areas, but back, you okay. know, all <laughs> for years sure. ago, uh, they yeah. weren't hitting it as hard then. Yeah. No, I think that's a really important dis, uh, point to distinguish for everybody as well that are just starting out where they they just hear like, okay, yeah, direct mail. It worked. It worked in this asset class. It worked for here. It worked for there. And being able to recognize that obviously in real estate or any business, there's not like this one size fits all process, but 
you know, there, there are the fundamentals in these tools that you can use like the mailers, but you have to apply those correctly yeah. and in the right markets where it's like you're in, I'm assuming like more of a first tier market and sending out mailers and you're like, okay, well that didn't work. And there's a lot of people that would probably be like, okay, mailers didn't work. I'm not meant to do this. Like this sucks. Like yeah. screw AJ and self storage income. Like <laughs> it was just, you know, so I, yeah, I think that's really important for a lot of people to hear and understand where, you know, use these tools, but you have to apply them correctly. Yeah. You know, once you send out those mailers in these these third tier markets with populations of 12,000 or less or whatever it was you're targeting, then boom, there you had two deals. And that's incredible. Out of 60 mailers, that's pretty rad. Because, I mean, what did that cost you for 60 mailers to get two deals? Well, yeah, I was more hot <laughs> than anything. Yeah. 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 Well, and the other thing that I see is what are you putting in your mailers? Mm, um, yeah. A lot of these people are treating it like, they're trying to buy, they're trying to wholesale single family, uh, you know, houses, mm-hmm. you know, you're talking to mom and pop yep. for the most part, majority of the owners I've bought from are retirees mm-hmm. and you know, they don't want to hear that, you know, they don't want to hear much, you know, they're, they may be interested in selling. And I mean, my mailer was so simple. It was almost dumb. Just, yeah. Hey, I've sold some single family rentals. want to get in self storage. And that was basically it. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people, I've got some here that I'm getting, getting some mailers. People are writing like a page yeah. of just, you know, I, I don't know what they're even saying. I, I read the first sentence and I'm done. I throw it away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it, you know, we talk, I talk about this a lot where it's like, there's this idea that there should be a one strategy fits all. And that's just not true. That's not how it works. And, you know, my strategy from beginning to end, it changes all the time. I'm already preparing for our next strategy move. We're already changing everything up because I already know the change is coming and what's coming. I've changed the last three years and I've changed the years before that. And that's why we keep getting deals. That's why we keep growing. That's why we keep finding because investing is dynamic. You have to change with the times. And if you are doing what everybody says is the mode, the market's saturated. There's no opportunity there. So you got to look away from it and you got to apply fundamentals in a different way. So like I say, my strategy's changed, but my strategy to find has changed. Not to run, not to operate. The value add system's never changed, right? right? But how I'm applying those fundamentals of value add, everything like that, that has changed dramatically and continues to. Everything from conversions to developments to, you know, all these different tools that we have. You know, it's like arrows in your quiver. And you gotta be able to use the right ones. Mm-hmm. Right. So true. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Yeah, that's and I don't think a lot of people are doing that. Um, you know, as I said before, I think a lot of people are they've got experience with wholesaling houses or yeah. they've got multifamily experience and um, they don't know how to adapt. Um, I think I was probably made for this because I did send out some mailers for single family and multifamily and didn't get any traction until I switched to storage. I think. Uh, my, my method probably fits those, uh, mom and pop owners that I was talking to in these rural areas. Yeah, no, that's, that's huge. Uh, you know, aligning yourself with them and being, you know, just a normal guy, you know, you're not this real estate investor coming to take their baby away from them, essentially, you know, it's like something that they built with their hands a lot of times, uh, over the years. Yeah. So Um, many of ours were handshake deals. Literally. mm -hmm. We were just, I went out, I had relationships with the owners that I went out intentionally built, but you know, I talk about this all the time. Like, this is a people game and you need to be able to not only be real, but put yourself in a position where you're having a discussion. Um, two people, just too many people just want an automated soulless numbers driven. Right. And that was never how we got off market deals. That's never how we got deals. It was mm-hmm. relationships, even off market deals with brokers. It was relationships that we had built up. When we went out and found a deal, we went and approached the owner. We went and talked to them. We went and learned. And sometimes they didn't sell it to us for two years, three years. But then when the time was right, we were the ones they sold to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So talking about your... Oh, go ahead. No, I just wanted to jump into your... So you had the first facility jumping into your second facility. How did that look? I know there's a lot of people that are like, okay, you know, they get that first one. That's like, okay, well, then how do I get to that next one? Because obviously, like, you're bit by the bug, right? And you're like, I got to get the second one. So what did that process look like for you, uh, you know, on the finances and also finding that deal and going through that whole process on that second one? 
Yeah, so the, um, I landed them right around the same time, within a few months of each other. Um, the first one I closed in June of 19. second one took around six months to close. It was an SBA loan, um, and if anyone's familiar with the SBA, you need to fit in their box. Um, and that was a problem for you. You have to fit in their box and the sellers have to fit in their box and the sellers, um, <laughs> had some struggles with that. So it took a little bit longer to, to close. Um, yeah. but yeah, SBA one for both 15% down for both. Were you um, using your own money or were you getting other people? Yes. Yep. All my deals, I've used my own money. Now, part of that is, um, I've used a HELOC. Mm -hmm. Um, I've actually cashed out my 401k. Um, I've also sold four rentals. So I had quite a bit of cash just from those options. Uh, but yeah, my first two deals were, uh, HELOC and cash. Um, after I saw my first deal, I knew my second one was going to work. And after I had my second one, you know, I was a month into it. I'm like, I'm all in. I saw the returns. I wasn't going to find that anywhere else. Um, and started sending out, I say more mailers, but I, my second group was maybe a hundred mailers. Um, and yeah, I was, yeah, off to the races then. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what is your, what is your deal flow look like? Like, how are you finding these deals now? And obviously, like AJ said, going, uh, you've got the six facilities at this point in just a couple of years. I mean, that's, that's huge scale. What are you doing to bring those deals to you? Um, so going forward or going forward? Yeah. yeah. Like, what are you doing now? Well, yeah. How are you finding those and how are you scaling so, so quickly? Yeah, so those were just um, direct mail letters. Um, going forward now, um, I'm networking, um, probably partnering with some people um, going forward. Um, I, I So right now I'm going through a cash out uh, refi, um, refinancing my, my properties into a portfolio loan with life insurance money. So at this point, I'm kind of equity heavy. Um, I need to get a little bit of cash out there in order go. to keep growing. Uh, but yeah, right now it's been all my own money. Uh, I have not um, done the private investor route, but that will probably come come next. I have not been on a heavy search for deals this year. Um, I'm I don't want to say comfortable, but I left my job, which was my pain point. Um, yeah. I wanted out of that job, so I had that was my superpower. I had something pushing me. Now it's um, you, you know you know and I, and I know this, um, and I'm also trying to balance. Um, how much I'm working compared to how much freedom I want. Um, so I'm trying to play that game too. How many facilities can I have where I can work when I want, where I want, how I want. Um, yeah, no, it's so. a balance. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a perfect segue into like, how do you, how do you do that? How do you manage these? Yeah. So, um, I've got a call center, uh, easy storage mm -hmm. solutions. Um, then I have boots on the ground, helpers at each facility. Um, and my facilities are pretty low maintenance. Um, you know, a lot of them, I'd say at least 70% of my renters have been there at least five plus years. Even with my rent raises, they stay. Um, in fact, I've got, and I'm sure, you know, you guys too, and a lot of people that are listening, you know, I've got renters that have five, six, seven units themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, so they're low turnover. So it's, it's low. My, my helpers don't have much work, you know, maybe an hour a month, maybe two hours a month at most, um, peak season. So that's how I'm running it. I did just hire an assistant two weeks ago to help with, um, emails, um, from the call center and just kind of operations things. Um, she'll probably take over the, uh, my boots on the ground guys here soon. So, um, yeah, my job will basically be, uh, answering any questions she has and finding more deals. Nice, nice. And what roles are those that you have, those boots on the ground? Yeah, so, uh, you know, you think about a move-in process. Um, the unit has to be empty, has to be cleaned. Um, so that's what they're doing with the units. They're picking up trash. Um, I've got vendors that, um, if there's grass, they mow the grass. Um, and my boots on the ground guys stop by at minimum once a week, um, but usually twice a week just to do quick rounds. Again, I've got uh, my biggest facility is uh, 30,000 square feet, so still relatively small. Um, and that guy, I think, goes there like every 10 days. He's not there very often. Uh, but I also have what, what's helped is um, I have cameras. 
at each facility. So I can, for the most part, see what's going on. And uh, my gate is tied to my call center slash website. So my boots on the ground doesn't have to do anything with lockouts. Um, if someone's late, they're locked out. They're locked out at the gate through the software automatically. Um, so, yeah, my, my, my helpers don't have much work. No, that's awesome. That's a really great way to, to automate that as much as possible, especially on those smaller facilities like that yeah. where that's such a huge expense and, and an issue for people to figure out is, you know, how do you hire somebody and how do you still cash flow and all that stuff? Um, that's that's awesome. Um, as far as the, uh, like, how, how do tenants rent when they're coming in? So since you don't have somebody just there at an office or something like that, how does that process work? Yeah, they, uh, they can either call the call center and the call center will move them in um, or they can go online to our website and rent that way. And what we do is they'll get, um, if they run online and, and similar, if they call in the call center, they'll get a, a code for the gate and then they'll get their unit number. And we actually put a, a combination lock on the vacant units. So they'll get those three things um, texted to them, emailed to them, um, or given to over the phone, and then they enter the gate, use a combo code, get in their unit, and move in. Awesome. That's great. That's sweet. Now, when you, you talked about your, like, your finance stuff, you're going to do a portfolio loan to take some money out. You've been doing uh, the smaller facility area. Are you going to continue on doing the boots and ground? Because as you get more facilities, right, it gets a lot harder to do a lot of certain aspects of them. What are you going to change? I mean, this is a big move for you, right? Portfolio alone, you're going to take a big chunk out. What do you think you could do better when buying, running, renting? Like what, what are your, uh, you've now owned it. So now you actually know how this works. So I'm always interested to see now, okay, how am I going to do better? Or what am I going to do? What are your thoughts? No, that's a great question. Um, right now I know where I need to improve and that's the call center. Um, They've been, and I don't want to say no fault of their own, but they've been, since COVID, basically, um, they've been inundated with uh, more storage facilities, owners coming to them. They can't keep up. So for the month, they're not answering many of my phone calls. Um, and not, not to throw them out of the bus. But yeah, that's my weakness right now. I need to figure that portion out. Um, I'm working on that right now. It's not a huge pain point because for the most part, I'm, 94, 95% full across the board uh, with rent raises and everything else. So, um, yeah, that, that's my pain point. Um, I also need to go in, and I've done that my last my last couple. I need to go in and raise rents um, as soon as I take over the facility. Because, you know, I'm, I'm buying a lot of these where rents are half or 30% of what market rates should be. Yeah. Um, initially, I was afraid to you know, to rip the bandaid off and raise them. Um, still somewhat timid, but just yeah, do it, just, man. Just rip it <laughs> off. Go all Don't on. even wait. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those two are my weaknesses right there. No, it, it's, you know, it's interesting how I, I remember like when, when we first started even we're like, could we really raise rates that much? And how many people are going to move out? Everything. And then midway through, we're buying facilities. Hey, we're going to give 130% raise. It's too far out of line. <laughs> and uh, we're fuller than when we were when we started. And what I yeah. think, you know, is hard to realize is that there, there's, first of all, there's different types of customers, right? And you need units to sell. That's part of it. But also, one unit full of someone that's half off, you're just saying no to someone that is willing to pay full. And I like to say, it's nothing against them. They're just not the customer I'm attracting. So you need to go to a facility that is okay with that. I want higher paying tenants so I can improve the facility, work on operations, so I can do customer service. I'm not trying to be the low end. But in order to be the high end, I also need high paying tenants to support that, you know, that customer service, that look, maintain the facility. Um, so once I understood, you know, once I think I got it in my mind, is you're just not my customer. So it's okay for you to leave. Um, but that can be a hard, well, <laughs> a hard transition. Yeah. Easier said than done. Yeah. Yes. So, so let me ask you this. So I have this, and I know it's a limited mindset, but I have this, I don't want to call it fear, but I just yeah. said that a lot of my facilities are 
uh, low maintenance because I've got majority of my people are, have been there for years. Yeah. I do think if I raise those rates, you know, for example, um, 10 by 20, my one, they're probably paying around 70. I've, my street rates are now 130. If I raise them over 100, those people are moving out. Now, what's my cost to get new renters? Um, are those renters not going to pay? All those things go through my mind. Yeah. So that's why I haven't ripped the Band-Aid off with a lot of those people. Yeah. It, this is how I look at it. So first of all, it does increase a little bit of work, right? Because you got to acquire new customers and everything. But if you look at the long, uh, the lifetime value of, of a tenant, so those people aren't going to leave. Why? Because you have a, they, they have a good deal, right? Of course, they're not going to leave. Because, but if you look at their lifetime value, the amount of money that you're going to lose over five years is crippling to your business. It's not even like when you, I look at it in five, 10 years or how, if I extrapolated that to all of them, area, I go, holy cow, I can't even run my business the way that I want to. Then I'd be, have a sense of urgency. I got to get you out, right? I, like you need to leave. Um, and if you don't not even leave, you just need to pay what is considered a market rate, what is fair and rational. And I, I, we've done a good job in a a lot of instances, sometimes we've done a bad job, but we've really tried to work in letting the tenants understand and know. And two, also, if they're that far under market rate, how many options do they really have? Like mm-hmm. you say they're going to leave. Where are they going to go? Right. So a lot of times people are like, we're going to leave. Funny story. I don't, I don't mean this to be like. I, I, I'm sure I should be sensitive to. I just think it's funny. So we take over facilities and we have to get them up to market rates. The facility I was just mentioning, right? Our average rate increase was like 78%. We had somebody that got really mad at us, right? Okay. We had a lot of people that were mad at us, but um, it was a really poor manage and it was owned by the state. So the state never gave tax. Like they just had a deal that didn't exist in the market. So it was so out of whack that it wasn't fair. So we're like, you've had a good deal for a really long time. Now you got to be normal in a marketplace that was unfair. But when we got it, he got a large rate increase. Well, he was upset, everything like that. He's like, we're leaving. We're like, okay, we understand. That's totally fine, right? He left, went three miles down the road and rented from my other storage facility and paid more. <laughs> wow. So he's still my tenant. He's just paying more <laughs> than even he was at that. So when you get in a marketplace, but it, it, it made me remember and made me think he had nowhere else to go. Mm-hmm. The only other place he had to go was me. And he had to pay a premium from what the rate increase that I was even giving him to an already existing facility that only had 4% vacancy. So he got one of the last units and paid a huge premium. I mean, his rate went way up. Plus he had to incur all the cost of moving. He was just doing it out of spite. It wasn't a right. logical decision. It didn't make any sense, right, at all. He just was mad about it, which was fine. You can be mad about it. You can go. But customers that are that severely under market rate, they may be mad, but the bulk of them understand, oh, I actually have to pay what's fair and reasonable right. now, right? So I always remember where they're going to go, first of all, right? Uh, but more importantly, try to communicate that with tenants, As you know, we've taken this over. We have to incur taxes. We want to improve our asset. We are taking care of it. We have to bring market up to rate. They can complain and they will, right? And that's fine. But we always make sure they understand why when we're giving them such a substantial rate increase. And two, lots of people that own lots of units, lots of times they're businesses they're operating on. We never have anybody, any problem with our main tenants and people like that because they understand it. They get it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, what I found interesting is um, I think I've only got one facility that has a REIT in town. And um, I am now, my street rates are now higher than some of theirs, Yep, which blows my mind. And I'm still renting. Yep. It's crazy. And this is the problem with not raising rates. So one of the problems with not raising rates is, first of all, you're actually hurting the entire market. So think about inflation. Think about what's gone on in the market, right? What it took me five years ago to rent and hold a customer, oh my gosh, it's not even comparable to today, right? And some people aren't raising their rents. Well, what did your groceries not go up? Did gas not go up? Like you've got to keep up with market standards, inflation. And if you're not raising rents, it hits you both way because all my expenses have gone up over five years and a lot of them dramatically gone up. And so if I'm not even keeping up with that, you're getting hit two-sided, 
right? So people in general know, but what happens when, when like, you know, when you buy these facilities, it's like they're trained wrong, right? Like they've never received a rate increase. So they, they just assume that they never should. And uh, you give them a rate increase, then they're mad. And you're like, well, you just went like six years without a rate increase. Maybe you should say thank you. And you don't even know where that top of that market is and where it's aligned. So you can start going higher, but in bad times, you're not able to raise rates. So what happens is when people don't raise rates, when you get to bad times and you have a lot of vacancy, you've not increased your rates at all over that time. And the vacancy is almost the exact same as people that did. So during bad times, you're actually putting your business in peril. Like, because vacancies where they're at today, right? That's not historical norm, right? right. Self-storage has never been better. For me, one of the reasons I raise rates is because I know it will get bad. It always does. It's inevitable. And I've been through the Great Recession with these assets. We were buying, building. I've been through all this time. And during the recession, there was two types of operators. One like me. I didn't raise rates. Then there was other operators who were good operators. They continued to raise rates. Once we, once we uh, all got back to normal, they were the same place I was. I had to catch up. It was, yeah. you know, it was a horrible business decision because during that time, our assets performed very, very poorly. And if I would have been more standardized, raised rents and been more reasonable and aggressive about it, we, our company would have been in a much better position. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I'm uh, I send out a bunch of letters next week. Yeah. Right, right <laughs> yep. And it, it's, I, I, I mean, and two, also we're in the best time. So that's another mm -hmm. thing too, timing it, right? Do it now because um, like I always say, I don't know what next year will hold and I might not be able to get our rate increases out. And next spring and given markets, it, it takes one facility to ruin a market. You right. Know, somebody comes in and builds yep. a 200,000 square foot facility over floods a market. You cannot ever get those rate increases anymore. And right. now you have vacancy. So it's, it's a proactive, it's a business sense, right? But I mean, you know, it sucks. It does, especially when you're just getting started. Now I'm very shielded from it right now. I have people to take care of that, things like that. But before I was literally taking the phone calls, I was dealing with the emails and people screaming at us. That's not fun. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I've hired an assistant. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> You're like, exactly. Here's all this stuff. <laughs> You're right. Send those letters out. I'm going on vacation. You can't reach me. <laughs> uh, exactly. Right. Yeah. What, well, what's funny is I hired her uh, four days before we went on vacation two weeks ago. Oh, too and funny. Was, and I told her, I'm like, you're not going to have more than two, three hours, what, four hours a month worth of work. I was like, it's not that much. <laughs> and anytime I go on vacation, that is the busiest week or 10 days, whatever it is. <laughs> um, for whatever reason, you know, that's just, so you're great at timing. Yeah. Good job. You're great yeah. at timing these things. <laughs> exactly. So she had no idea what she was doing. Um, I still have my finger on things, but yeah, that's how things work out, I guess. <laughs> so let me ask you this. When you hired your assistant, what things did you outsource? Um, the main things is email. Um, I'm tired of living on my phone for the most part. Yeah. Um, right now that's what it is. She's answering emails. Um, and that's from sometimes the renters, uh, but mostly from the call center questions that they have that really they should know, um, but aren't consistent with that. And then, um, I also get after hours voicemails to the emails. Um, so she takes care of those too. So that's, yeah, gets me off from living on my phone all the time. No, that's, that's fantastic. Um, and obviously a, a really important part of scaling because you can't work on finding new deals. You can't work on building your company. You can't grow it if you're constantly just in maintenance mode, maintaining what you already have. Um, and, you know, that's part of scale. As you grow, you're going to have to get more and more things done. And that's, I, I don't know, to me, that's the fun part. Like I actually enjoy the scaling of a business part. Um, that starting out phase is so exciting and it's so great. And then it's like, how do we get to this next level? What do we do? Who are the people that we need on our team? I get so into that. And you know, I'm, I, I'm too into it. Cause like it, I could play all the time. Like, cause this is a game to me. This is the yeah. greatest game on mm -hmm. earth and I get to yep. play in it. And I'm like, and I get to play in it with people who I 
I love, I appreciate, I think highly of, and we're like, I'm like, oh, we're putting like an Avengers team together, right? And we're going mm-hmm. out there, we're taking over. And then my wife's like, maybe you should, uh, you know, not work so much. Maybe you should uh, come see the kids. I'm like, oh yeah, sorry, I was too busy playing with my friends. <laughs> yeah. like, right, right, AJ, it's right. time for dinner. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Oh, AJ, yeah. time for dinner. Come on. I'm like, uh, oh man. Yeah. <laughs> see you later, guys. Well, well, I think that's you know that's all entrepreneurs, right? That's you know yeah. I I enjoy and I haven't gotten there yet, but I'm excited for that. And I don't know what that's gonna look like. It may just be one person, it may be two. I don't know. Um, but I, yeah, I love the fact of, you know, you're buying a business that's, that, that's kind of sinking and you know, you're reviving it. I yes. love that. Um, I that's my favorite part. I yeah. do too. Well, and you hit the nail on the head by, by exactly what you said. You're buying a business, you know, <clears throat> and that's what I think so many of these, uh, these single owner operators, you know, that have been in the industry for a while, uh, that they're missing. They're not running it like a business. There's a lot of people out there that, I think storage is this super uh, passive cash cow thing that you don't have to do anything with, um, which isn't the case. Um, and uh, I mean, again, I mean, you should hit the nail on the head as far as calling it a business and running it like a business. You're buying a business, and that's exactly what you're doing. You got to um, set it up like a business. Hundred percent processes and procedures. Yep. You need consistency. Mm-hmm. Hundred percent. And too, even when you look at like rate increases, like for us. Um, when you buy a facility that's never had a rate increase and you give a rate increase, everybody loses their mind. But then after I own that facility and I give everybody a rate increase every six to nine months, nobody ever says anything ever. And it's because the customers are trained. It's consistent. It's expected. Tenants don't like things that come out of left field. The price actually didn't even really matter. It's just that it surprised them. But once they're getting consistent and two, I'm not talking about 3% rate increase. Our average Every six to nine month rate increase is somewhere from eight to 15% across the board every time. No one ever complains. But if I took a facility over that's never had a rate increase and I gave them a 4% rate increase, everybody would freak out, right? So when you develop processes and systems, not only does the business run smoother, but your customers are way happier about it. I know who to contact. I know who I'm going to get an answer from. I know what to expect. It really does make everybody's life easier. And when you run it ad hoc, like, oh, just, you know, I'm doing whatever, your customers don't like that. We're so used to using services and particularly using services for big, large corporations, things like that, that are streamlined, that the more you imitate that, the more you're going to get customers that are willing to pay for that. And it makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That- no, definitely. And this is, you know, you, you probably just hit the nail on the head where I need to improve. Um, I need to improve on, I've been sending, and granted, I'm, I'm still an infant in this. I've only been in it two years. Um, I have been sending rate increases basically once a year. Um, but it sounds like I need to do that at least twice a year. Yeah, you it's, go. you know, and it's interesting too, when you look at, because when we got started, started out, we didn't do, obviously, have stuff. I, I, and this is why I love talking to people. I, I think I said this, like it was like three podcasts ago, where I'm like, I love talking to people who are new and just starting out because it's like, bring it brings me back. It's yeah. exciting. And two, you just found this whole new world that you love. And you're like, wow, I can really do something here, right? Like I can yeah. really build something here. I can be yeah. good at this. And yeah. Self-storage offers that in a way that a lot of asset classes don't. And it provides you the ability to learn and grow and make mistakes. So I have like Warren Buffett has his margin of safety. I have my margin of stupidity. And when I bought a business, it needed to be good enough to where I could do a lot of stupid things and it would still be just fine. And storage offered me the opportunity to opportunity to be stupid thanks storage um and you know but really it's true like because i knew i'm not gonna be perfect i'm not going to know everything so i'm gonna screw up for years and i need to have a business model that allows me to grow as an investor as a business person and still be successful so whether you're an infant you know whether you're this learning growth here you're in an asset class dude that you can grow as much as you want as little as you want and it provides yeah. you the opportunity. I, that's so cool. Yeah. No, you hit the nail on the head. It's. I tell people too that are, you know, I act like I've been a, a, lot, a while, but it's only been two years. It's so slow moving. 
it's you know i still make mistakes i mean obviously yeah. you know you uncovered one um but yeah my first facility i made mistake after mistake after yes. mistake i spent too much on stone just all these all mistakes i didn't yep. send my welcome letters to like a month into ownership yeah. um you know and it, but it's so slow moving that it's like okay well i'm going to send them out next month and now everything's back to normal and, and everything's fine in the world yeah it's nothing it's so nice because knock on wood for the most part, nothing is an emergency. Yeah. Um, at worst, someone's got some collectibles in there and whatever. But yeah, it's not like you're dealing with a flooded house. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, a fire. I guess you can deal with fires, but um, it's someone's stuff. They're not living there, so it's not yeah. as urgent. Um, it's 100%. just yeah, it's a slow moving world. And even right now, I've seen some emails come across and text messages that. I could probably answer next week and it wouldn't hurt my business whatsoever. Yep. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love what you just said about nothing's an emergency. Cause I think a lot of us get in this mindset of like, Oh my gosh, like this is happening. That's happening. Yeah. This is going on. And this is something too, that, that, that I've seen even with our managers and things like that at facilities where it's like, Oh man, this is going on. This is that. And it's like, okay, uh, this is what we're going to do. Like you just need to do X, Y, and Z and you know, this will be fine. That'll yep. be fine. All right. I've, I've even had them tell me like, you're so calm. Like you must have like just crazy stuff going on or something. Like you have bigger fish to fry. You kind of just don't care or whatever. And it's like, no, it just is what it is. Like it's not the end of the world. Yeah. And I love how you just, how you, how you worded that. Like nothing's an emergency. So funny. Cause like me and my dad, we came from insurance world and we work with corporations and large self-funding. We were running 800 million in premium and everything was an emergency. We're getting calls from the C-suite. We're always on. They're like, hey, we have this huge life insurance claim or whatever. And it's, but these are like big organizations, right? We're talking like Fortune 500 companies. So you're always on. And when they have a problem, it is like the world ends, right? And once we got started in storage, they'd be like, oh, we have this huge issue. And we're like, oh, what is it? And then they'd leave and we just look at each other and laugh like, that's an issue. Like, what are you talking about? Like, we're yeah. not going to lose the client. No one's going right. to sue anyone, right? It's not like we have millions of dollars and, you know, unpaid, all this kind of stuff. It's not like we got a projection wrong in our underwriting here that now the client's going to freak out. It was, it, it just, it wasn't. We could really focus on the business and on the future. And we knew that problems that came up, we could take care of it in an appropriate time. And it was, it was fine. That's a huge, like, I don't mm-hmm. know. That, to me, coming from that high intensity, right? It's yeah. everything. We were just dressed down. It was a suit and tie, you know, that kind of environment where it was high, strong sales, big corporate sales. And then coming into a world where it's like, Hey, we can compound consistently returns at a known rate. And as long as we do the right things, it's okay. And we can continually grow. And if we don't want to yeah. grow, we can stop. What a breath yeah. of fresh air. I'm sure for you yeah, leaving I'm- your, your job, you're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was just going to say, how much better is your quality of life? Oh. I, mean, it's, I don't know, especially in real estate, but I don't know many other vehicles um, that could get some, you know, get us where we are um, that's so low stress. That's yeah. just, I mean, I can sleep at night. I don't have to have, my, my job that I had before, I had to have my phone on me at all times because yeah. that's where basically orders and that's how I made my money through that. And I'm still kind of addicted to that a yeah. little bit. Yeah. And still get still stuck in that. Like, yeah. okay, I need to answer your emails right away. But no, storage is just better quality of life. And like you said, you can scale and grow it how you want, how fast you want it. It's just it's unbelievable. Hopefully no one's listening and, and starts uh, buying up more property. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, Those yeah, darn guys. Well, you know, it's funny because I always tell people I you know, one day I was fine, the next day I became paralyzed. And then I'm on life support. And then all of a sudden I'm out of the hospital. I'm being taken care of at home months later. And a year goes by and my business is worth more and making more money. And I literally, literally just lied around the whole time. I didn't do anything. <laughs> and I'm like going, you know, and I lost my job in the hospital. And all my clients were obviously gone. Um, and any other business that I would have had that I was currently in, no, like clients couldn't wait. Customers aren't going to wait. That's not, it doesn't work. It doesn't happen that way. And I'm like the whole rest of that other side of my life just went away overnight, just fell apart. But that side just kept going. And I'm like, 
you know, maybe that's the reason I'm so passionate about it. And I'm like, man, this like saved my life. This like saved my family's life, right? Like my kids, I have four kids. We didn't have to sell our home. We didn't do anything. And then I went back and I'm like, oh, wow, look at that. We're, you know, our storage facilities are worth three million more or whatever it is. I'm like, great. Yeah. I'm going to go back home and go to bed. You know, it's <laughs> like, it's a, it's, it's powerful and it life is. changing. It, is. it absolutely is. Well, and obviously, I mean, on another scale for you, life-changing, but even, you know, for myself, it's life-changing. Yeah. I was not happy at my job. I remember my wife saying my, I think it was the first month, two months of me basically being home. Cause that's what I am now. I'm at home all the time. Yeah. Um, my wife said something about, you know, we haven't talked this much in whatever, 10 years or whatever. Yeah. It's just, again, that's life-changing, not yes. on your scale, but it's, no, but it it's is changing. It could have saved, who knows, a marriage from, yeah. A disaster 10 years from now or just a horrible life that you'd never wanted to live and then you got old and you have a life full of regrets going i I was stuck at a job that i didn't want to be at with people i didn't want to work with you know all that and i just treadmilled my life away doing something i didn't want to do that's just as much of a tragedy yeah no absolutely is yeah it's uh and it's funny and and i don't know you know you guys love to hear what you you can say about it but you know, I have friends, I have family that um, I'm sure are, are miserable in their job, but I don't get asked very often about what do you do? Um, no. You know, what are you, what, how did you get there? What are you doing? And, and I, I don't, I'm not out there, you know, telling everybody what I am doing, but they've got to be able to see that. Yeah, I'm happier. I've obviously got a ton more free time. Um, and literally no one asked me, yeah. how do I get there? How do I do that? It's, that's what blows my mind. I was telling my dad that the other day. That's what blows my mind. No one asks, how do I get there? Yeah. And it's not that I've come up with anything, you know, that's, that's no. earth shattering. That's yeah. mm-hmm. learning from others. Yeah. Well, and isn't like, how unfortunate is that too, that, that so many of us have that, have learned this for, for whatever reason. I don't even know if it's, this is something that we're just conditioned to not do as we're growing up or i don't know if it's because people don't want to talk about money or i don't know if it's because it's tied to that or what but that is such a common thing for sure where it's like people know somebody's successful but like you just said they don't ask like well how did you do that well what are you doing what's your day look like well how did you start that how did you buy that how much money do you make like i mean just being blunt and honest about how it is they're doing what they're doing because i think a lot of people out there are drowning, you know, they're, they're living lives that they don't want to live. And all it takes is asking simple questions. Like, what do you do? Yeah. Something as simple as that. Yeah. doesn't have such a great point. Yeah. I get asked by strangers because of my public nature. Sure. No family, friends, people. Nope. I'm going to talk to you later, AJ, (laughs) ask you some questions. That's literally how we met. (laughs) That's literally how we met. You said, I have some questions for you. Let's meet up. I'm like, okay. AJ, So yeah. it is. That's how we met. He literally, he called me up. He said, you heard me on podcast was like, Hey, I'm, you know, this is incredible. When could I just take you out to lunch? Could we meet and talk? And I was like, That's sure. Awesome. And so, yeah. you know, it, it, it makes a huge difference in people's ability to change their circumstance, their lives and their directions. And all it takes is a question that One people question. don't want to answer, ask. They literally don't want to yeah. ask. Yeah. And what is that? Is that, is that pride? Is it ego? Like, I don't understand it. Cause, you know, and, and I try to look back, you know, five, 10 years ago at myself to see if I would ask those questions. And I think I would, if I had a neighbor that I know just quit his job and is home all the time now, what did you do? You know, what drugs are you selling? I, what yeah. You I'm annoying. I would ask. Yeah. But, like I grew up, like, like, you know, cause I came from a sales background and stuff, but I grew up in a home where financial, we talked about it all the time. So like I, I was on the other side. I would like meet people, talk to them. Oh, so how much do you make? And they're like, well, maybe we should get to know each other. What's your name? Right. Like I, like I was too oh, probably open about it, but because of that, I literally just asked everybody. And I was so used to then dealing with businesses and everything that wasn't a taboo subject at all. And that led us to explore options, self storage, investing. And it led to just mass wealth of knowledge at a really early age that I, all of a sudden I figured out that's not a normal thing. Like you got people that have lived their whole life and never asked simple questions that to me, I ask everyone I know all the time. And, uh, that's, it, it shows though, because knowledge is power, right? right? Knowledge is power. 
And the only people that can change our circumstances are ourselves. It's us. We're the only ones that can do it. But if we don't go out to gather those tools to make the change, we're stuck and it's impossible. And that is literally the first step. But maybe it is pride. Maybe it is fear. I was going to say, I think, you know, thinking about this, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Jocko and a lot of things he talks about. Um, and one of his big things is like ego is the enemy. And I think I think that's a huge portion of why a lot of people don't want to ask questions like that is because they have that ego side where they're like, well, I don't want to look like an idiot and ask them like, what do they, what do they do? Like, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. They want to play yeah. it off. Like, well, I'm of course. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, yeah. I'm doing my thing. Like, yeah. and you're doing your thing. Like, yeah. I don't want to seem know. like it's some, for some reason, if you're successful, that means I'm not right. Yeah. 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 Any number of yeah. things like that. Yeah. Well, and AJ, you hit on it too. I think it's both. Though. I think it's that. And I think AJ, you hit on it, that we're conditioned to not yes. talk about money. Growing yeah. Up. And that is, as far as money-wise, I think 100%. that's one of the biggest mistake that we that we do to our kids. And obviously, with our kids, you know, we're we're open about it. Yeah. Um, and want to be open about it. And yeah, if someone asks me what I, I'll tell you what I make. I don't have a problem. I yeah. want, you know, you have to be able to talk about it to learn about it. Yes. If you don't talk about if you don't talk about financials, you're not going to learn a thing about it. Yeah. No, I, I I couldn't agree more. That's how we treat with our kids. We're very open. I mean, literally last night we were driving or whatnot, and my boy's like, how much gross revenue do you guys do a month? So we sat in the car and talked about it. And, you know, it's – I I know I had friends and things that that would not only be you, – you, that would not only be a faux pas, you would get reprimanded by your parents. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. inappropriate. You don't ever ask yeah. that, which is yeah. crazy because, like, I tell people – like I'm like people that think, Oh, all you talk about is money. You must be like obsessed with money. And I'm like, no, no, no. See, it's the opposite. I don't care. That's why I can talk about it. I don't right. care if you make more. I don't care if you make less because money's a tool. So I look at it as a piece of junk laying on the ground that we can do something with. So let's talk about how to use this thing. Right. <laughs> because it means nothing to me. I don't care if it's money. I don't care if it's gold. I don't care. It doesn't matter if it helps us accomplish something. Let's figure out how to accomplish it. Right. The more guarded you are around money to me, the more money means to you. It's an emotional bond that you're either sensitive about. It's either something that you have internal issues with or you're guarded for whatever reason. It's like, Oh, whoa, sorry. I hit something sensitive there. Right. Yeah. No, I talk about it because yeah. I don't care. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, yeah, well, that's kind of scarcity mindset too, Yeah. right? I yeah. think a lot of that goes into, and I look at some of my family or friends that that won't talk about money. It's a scarcity mindset. Yeah. Well, where's my money going to come next week or two weeks from now? Or you know that that's a lot of it too. I think. Or if and you know about school, it, you're going to try to ask me for money, or you're going to take money from me. Yeah. And people ask me that too. They'll ask me like, you know, people know you're, you're successful and stuff. Are you worried about people asking? I'm like, oh no, because I just say no. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so they can ask, yeah. but I just say, no, I'm not no. giving you money. Yeah. So, and they yeah. don't ever ask again. So, and that's not a problem right. that I have though. I don't have people calling me up saying, can I have money or anything? And so I think you're right. It's a total limited, like this mindset, like I've got to guard it. There's not enough. And right. I don't even want you to know. And that comes down to this idea that you tell kids, we can't afford that. Right? Like, I hate yes. that. We're like, no, we can afford it. I just not going to buy it. And you don't need it. Right. You don't there's, need it. You don't yeah. need that. So there's no reason yeah. for us to spend the money on it. I 100% have the money. I could buy all those bikes you want, but I'm not going to because yeah. you don't need them. That's a yeah. way more important lesson to teach because that teaches yeah. self-control priorities yeah. that shows them that it's, you know, that I, I do or I can, even if I don't, I'm, oh, I could, yeah. but I just have yeah. to do things to get it. Um, and that's yeah. not a lot of things that are taught today. No, it's not. No, I'm great. I, I, that's great that you just said that because that's actually it's kind of uh, self-assuring for me because that's what I've we've got a seven year old and, and a four year old. Obviously, the four year old doesn't really get it yet. But the seven year old, I've been trying to tell her, no, we can get that. You don't need it. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the our exact conversation. Yeah. Um, no, that's great. Oh, that. yeah. Our kids would be like, you know, well, why don't you buy that car or that something that's super nice? Because we don't need it. I don't want it. Don't I don't need it. need it. So we yeah. don't. Right. And for kids at first, that's hard for them to understand. They're like, but that's a cool car. You should have one like that. And I'm like, why should I have one? Why? 
because I could buy it. What does that do? What does that mean? Right. And it causes them to think very serious questions like where my self-worth is tied up into where my priorities are. Like if I bought too many things, maybe I can't do other things that we want to do. And for me, I want to reinvest in my businesses. I want to grow passive income. I want to do other things. So it's a great opportunity then to share with your children, your priorities and what you think is important in life where like I tell people, I don't care what you say. I just care what you spend your money on because that tells you way more than anything you say. Right. I mean, people talk, 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 but when it comes to put the money down, that's when people really forgot. And that's like a, you know, a thing in entrepreneurship that you learn very on people may say, Oh yeah, I'd buy that. Then you say, great, give me the money. And they're like, Oh, well, I'm not going to now. That means that the, that demand's not really there. Right. They actually wouldn't do it. So having this, open mind helps you learn more about individuals, people, friends, family, where you're talking about really real things. And I think, I don't know, I'm really to the point and transparent because I think let's, let's quit the BS. Let's just get down to the important stuff. Time's yeah. short. And I care about you. Like if I'm not asking you deep questions, if I'm not talking to you about really real things, cause I don't care about you. So, you know, and it's true though. Oh, no, without a doubt. Yeah. And it's, and I've got some friends that, um, you know, I, I want to have those conversations with. Um, but it's tough to bring up, too, because, you know, going back to what we were talking about before, there's ego, scarcity, yeah. whatever it is. Um, but part of me, is too, is like, I want to help give back. I want to help because yeah. our schools aren't, aren't, you know, nothing against schools, but our schools aren't teaching us about money. And obviously, like you said, money's not everything, but it's it definitely helps. Definitely helps. At least being financially literate helps. Yeah. Um, you don't have to have a lot of money. No. You've got to be financially literate, which 99% of the population probably is not. Yeah, exactly. It's a tool. It's what creates yeah. healthcare, education, every single part of society. To So to oh. say that it's not important is ridiculous. It's not important only to the fact that we want billions of people to die tomorrow. Right. But other than that, it's not important. Like it's, and I think kids too, they come really quick. They're super smart. So if you say that's not important, they go now, hold on. Then why do you go to work from 7am to 6am and don't spend time with us? If it's not important, what does that say to me? Right? No, it's very important. Like the work we do here pays for people's families to live. This pays for investors to retire and I like to express the importance of it more so they can say, this is a wonderful tool. If you use it bad, it can destroy yours and other people's lives. But if you use it good, you can build. I don't know. I right. think it's cool. So what are your yeah, plans no, next? I, what are you doing, man? Like, are you Yeah, I was going to say, we kind of got off. Uh, you guys don't know anything about my story book portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> but this is good stuff. Yeah, this is, this is great good stuff. stuff. Yeah. yeah. This is awesome. And really, this is, I mean, really, this is what I'm passionate about. Not store right, probably with us. Yeah, hundred percent support. No, right? It's yeah, the it's a vehicle. Bingo. Um, hundred percent. And yeah, it's you know, and for me, it started with, how are we going to ever retire, and how are we going to pay for our kids' education? And it's grown from there. Um, but yeah, what's next for me? I just keep growing. Um, you know that that's the one thing is I just want to keep growing. Can't stay stagnant. Yeah. Um, actually, I was listening to um. Um, Ed Milets and uh, Tim Grover's uh, interview yesterday on the podcast. And um, I think one of the last things Kobe Bryant said to Tim Grover was um, he's just chasing the next win. And that was like, I'm not a tattoo guy, but I was like, I got a tattoo. That's what I'm getting. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of my new thing is just chasing the next win. Um, you know, today a win was my son and I went golfing in the morning. Yeah. Um, Tomorrow's win will be different. And um, yeah, my thing is just keep growing. I want to continue to keep uh, purchasing storage facilities. Um, I think there's growth for myself in other areas, buying other businesses as well. But um, yeah, and I, I want to give back as much as I can and, and share. And this is why I want to do a podcast, you know, with you. And I've done a few others that I want to, you know, open people's eyes. I know I learned a ton from um, back mid 2000s, mm-hmm. bigger pockets. Yeah, um, yeah. came out and, you know, I learned a ton 
just listening to that. I drove a lot. So all I did was listen to their podcast and um, just hearing people's inspiring stories. Yeah. And hearing those stories is why I'm here today, being able to, um, um, you know, kind of have the freedom that I have and uh, change our, our, my, my family and our, probably our future family's lives forever. Um, you know, well, I love that. It's a big deal. Steps at yeah. the time. That's, that's awesome. That's really, really cool. Um, you know, speaking of that, you know, I, we've been going on for a long time here. Why don't you tell people yeah. where they can get a hold of you and where they can find you? They got questions, want to reach out where, where should we send people? Easiest way is Facebook. Um, John Farling, J O N and Farling F A R L I N G. Um, you can hit me up there. Um, I don't have my own website. Um, I've got silly websites, so you don't want to hit me up there. Facebook's the best way. Perfect. Awesome. Sounds well, good. We'll, we'll link put it up that in the show in. notes. Yeah, yeah, put it in the show notes so everybody can find it. So, well, hey, yeah. man, thank you for coming on, sharing your story. It was a great discussion. I really appreciate you having it with us. I could talk literally about this stuff all, all day. Yeah. I get so into it. But um, appreciate it. We'd love to learn more about you. If you can make it out to the conference, you know, come out. We'll hang out. And we'll all have a good time. So, thanks, man. Thank you. Appreciate the time. Appreciate what you guys are doing. Thanks.